beloveds, welcome back to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we're exploring what our Christian sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression, the times in which we are living today. What do our sacred stories have to teach us as white folks about our role in resistance, in showing up, in liberation? What wisdom is there for us as white Christians in these pandemic times? The pandemic of COVID-19 and the centuries-long pandemic of white supremacy. I'm Reverend Ann Dunlap, pronouns she, her, hers. I'm a United Church of Christ minister, and I'm the faith coordinator for Showing Up for Racial Justice, or SURGE. I live in the place currently called Buffalo, New York, here in the homelands of the Haudenosaunee and Erie peoples. This podcast is a project of Surge Faith and is particularly designed for white Christians. White Christians talking to other white Christians about race and white supremacy. We believe white Christians like us, like me, have a responsibility to commit ourselves to resisting white supremacy, to speaking up and showing up and disrupting white supremacy where we find it, including in our own Christian tradition. And we do this work remembering we are building up a new world. This live recording of Dr. Vincent Harding's song for the Freedom Movement is of a multiracial movement choir practice in Denver, Colorado in December 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the song for this podcast. The word is resistance. We're at the third week of Advent, the third episode of our hashtag Abolition Advent series. What abolitionist longing is being expressed in these texts, these stories, these visions that can help us in these times? I'm going to continue on in Isaiah this week like Claire and Nicola did in our last two episodes Isaiah is fascinating to me in how its prophetic tradition was gathered together over several generations, covering an arc of history that included the people of Israel being under threat from Assyria and Babylon, to some of the people being destroyed by Assyria, and then more of the people being conquered by Babylon, carrying so many off into exile and destroying Jerusalem and the beloved temple. And then the good news that the exiles would be able to return home. And then, at last, rebuilding the community in the midst of the rubble left by the conquering empire. These Advent selections of Isaiah come from those last bends of that narrative arc. The signs that we might come home again, the joy of salvation, and also finding ourselves standing in the midst of the rubble, the ruin, and the trauma in the collective memory and body. It's a narrative that would have felt very familiar to Jesus's community, living through the constant threat of Rome's violence, including the execution of Jesus and culminating in the destruction of the beloved temple and so many of the Jewish people being carried off into exile and enslavement. As we ponder Advent and Christmas, we would do well to remember the birth narratives of Jesus are being whispered in communities living in the aftermath, the rubble, the ruin, left by the conquering empire. 
It's a narrative, at least for me, that feels very familiar right now, too. Signs that we might come home again, if we want to, as Nicola pointed out last week. And also plenty of rubble and ruin and collective trauma. Isaiah has a word for us, too. But first, I want to read for us the psalm for this week from the lectionary, Psalm 126. It's a short psalm that is pretty clearly written after the Babylonian exile. And a note at the beginning says it's a song of ascents, meaning it was part of the embodied liturgy of pilgrimage to the Jerusalem temple, which was on high ground, meaning you went up, you ascended to it. I still remember my Hebrew Bible professor walking out the rhythm of the psalm in our classroom, showing us how the rhythm of the Hebrew poetry follows the rhythm of footsteps climbing up to the temple. It is a psalm of the after times, prophesied and lived by Isaiah, after the exile, after the destruction, after all the loss, after the coming home. Psalm 126. When the divine brought back those who returned to Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the divine has done great things for them. The divine has done great things for us, and we rejoiced. Restore our fortunes, O divine one, like the watercourses of the Negev. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. The psalm pairs so well with our reading from Isaiah which is chapter 61, verses 1 through 4 and 8 through 11. The spirit of the divine one is upon me because the divine has anointed me. The divine has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the divine's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the divine to display their glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. For I, the divine one, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully give them their recompense and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge that they are a people whom the divine has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the divine. My whole being shall exult 
in my God. For the divine has clothed me with the garments of salvation, has covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks themselves with a garland, and as a bride adorns themselves with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the divine one will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. I want to tell you, I've been having a rough time of it lately. I have a very hard time feeling safe in systems where people are never held accountable for the harm they cause, which is basically the system we live in, U.S. imperial white supremacy. It's always been this way here. I get that. I've talked about it on this podcast even. No one held accountable for enslavement, for genocide, for any of it. Every last bit of violence. And also I recognize how the last four years of this presidency have made that reality much more clear for lots of us. And in this pandemic, it's only gotten worse for me. The total disregard for human suffering and the gaslighting in particular keeps my belly in a perpetual clench. The election has not helped this. And I find myself this Advent just brokenhearted, faint, a head and heart full of ash. So when I read these texts to get ready to prepare for this podcast, I just sat with them. I read and reread them and just ached like ached in my bones. It feels like my muscles and my rib cage are sore from crying, though I have hardly shed a tear on the outside anyway. All I had, all I have, as I read, is that ache, that longing, a longing for the after time that the psalm describes, that the prophet envisions, that after time, Everyone come home again. A whole year of God's favor. Honestly, it's going to take more than a whole year, God, but that would be a start. And there is comfort for mourning. Anointing oil instead of mourning. Shouts upon shouts of joy. Tears and weeping turned into abundant harvest. I am longing for that day. For that time after Maybe you are too. And I thought that was all I had. No other words, just ache and ash. How do I make a podcast out of that? I have nothing to say. Then last night while I was doing my nightly ritual of making the coffee, boiling the water to steep our herbal tea overnight, putting the dirty dishes in the dishwasher, 
Just as I wrapped up my French press in its wool blanket to keep the heat in for the tea, it came to me. Just tell them that. Tell them about the longing. I mean, I'm pretty sure it was God, and I'm pretty sure it's because my friends and my beloved have been praying for me, but that's what happened. And I finally took a breath and flipped off the light over the kitchen sink. And as I headed up the stairs to bed, I remembered a mystic, St. John of the Cross, I think, because of course I can't find it right now, who said, the answer to the longing is the longing. Because if Advent is about anything, it's about the heartbreaking longing in the midst of despair because of oppression. It's about looking at the world and longing for something different, something better than the violence of Babylon or of Rome or of the United States. If Advent is about anything, it's about the heart-aching longing for salvation, for being saved. And what I mean is saved from these empires of death. And that's what these texts mean, too. When Isaiah says, God has clothed me with the garments of salvation, he's not talking about Jesus. He's not talking about Jesus dying and rising to offer us a get-out-of-hell-free card. No, that's not what's happening here. The garment of salvation is the robe of righteousness. In Hebrew, tzedakah, the robe of tzedakah, which describes a kind of justice we don't even quite have a word for in English, a justice that means wealth is distributed so fairly that everyone has what they need. No one goes hungry or without clothing. Prisoners are free. Tzedakah is good news for the oppressed. Tzedakah is the world as God longs for it to be. Earlier this year for the Community Safety for All Toolkit I created for Surge, I wrote this, we wrote this, the longing for communities that are safe from harm, where everyone has all they need to be nourished and to thrive, is a divine longing, a divine longing for us as humans and all creatures and creation. At their best, The sacred stories communicate that divine longing and the divine's willingness to act towards the fulfillment of that longing, including the abolition of oppressive systems and structures. That is tzedakah, communities that are safe from harm, where everyone is nourished and thrives. Tzedakah is God's longing for us, an abolitionist divine longing for humans to live as oaks of tzedakah. Which means our own longing, our own Advent heart-aching longing for a world steeped in tzedakah is also an abolitionist divine longing. What a realization to think that our own longing is God's own longing. The answer to the longing is the longing.
abolitionist divine longing. I want to say that again. The divine longing is abolitionist, looking at the world and longing for something different, something better than the violence that surrounds us. That's an abolitionist longing. A longing that is telling us we can abolish systems of violence and build a better world, a more just and compassionate world. We are longing for that. And God does too. An abolitionist divine longing. Liberating people from systems of oppression, from violence, from empires, is the divine declaration that these systems are against what the divine longs for, for creation's flourishing. In this declaration in Isaiah, we hear the prophet speak of good news for the oppressed. What would be good news for the oppressed other than the abolition of all the systems and structures that oppress them? Liberating prisoners is just one example here. In the world of flourishing tzedakah, there are no prisons, no prisoners. And God says here, I love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. And justice here is the Hebrew word mishpat, another concept we don't have a good word for in English. Mishpat is about laws, sort of, following the laws, sort of, but not in the sense at all that we understand it in the punitive U.S. justice system. Mishpat is more about having the structures that organize our collective life together how we relate to one another, support one another, hold one another accountable for harm. We could call them laws or guidelines or practices or the way we move together as community. But the point is that the structures that organize our collective life do so in a way that all can flourish. God loves mishpat, organizing our life together so that all can flourish. And God will act to abolish anything that prevents that flourishing. Because God hates robbery. And given the breadth of what both Mishpat and Tzedakah mean, and the breadth of Isaiah's context here of liberating the people from Babylon's oppression, then we know that God doesn't mean robbery like somebody stole your bike off your porch. No, robbery here is how empire robs us of life, of the opportunity to flourish. The robbery that is Jeff Bezos and the Walton family making billions in a pandemic while their workers are dying of COVID and working without just pay and proper protection. The robbery that is U.S. wealth built off slavery and genocide and exploitation. The robbery that is making millions off selling stocks when the COVID news hits, but refusing to consider relief for people losing jobs and homes and lives. The robbery of black and brown breath from a cop's knee on their neck. The robbery that is arming police to the teeth, but not getting PPE to essential workers. The robbery that is pipelines destroying indigenous homelands. The robbery that is the exhaustion of trying to survive the death cult of empire. Isaiah is clear. God hates that. The divine longs for a world without robbery.
The divine longs for a world without oppression. It's an Advent longing, an abolitionist longing. And it gives me a little comfort to know that God and I are longing for the same thing. Maybe it gives you some comfort, too. In the aftertimes, the psalm says, we were like those who dream. In the aftertimes. That's the thing, though, too, right? That we're longing for that aftertime when we've all come home again and all is well. All is just well. And the psalm and Isaiah both name this aftertime. It happened. The exiled did come home. But both texts also tell us that's not the end. Everything is not magically fixed just because we're in the after time. Damn it. It reminds me of this election, right? How we celebrated the downfall of a tyrant. And we should. Our organizing did that. Our staff and Serge shouted and shouted shouts of joy when Georgia was called. Philly friends danced in the streets as the vote margin widened in Pennsylvania. And when the election was called, I couldn't help but hug our Surge director as we hollered together, we did it, at the rally downtown. We defeated a tyrant. But we are surrounded by 500 plus years of rubble and ruin and the work is by no means done. Not when his replacement thinks that we get over these last four years by making nice with the tyrants and fortifying the structures that got us into this mess to begin with, rather than following the lead of our black and brown abolitionist dreamers, practitioners, organizers, those oaks of tzedakah who know what it will take to actually rebuild and repair the devastations of many generations. The last third of Isaiah is full of this tension of the joy of coming home, the joy of finally getting to the after, and realizing the work is not yet done. In part because the returnees, who, if you remember Nicola's episode from last week, were actually the ruling elite, they just want to rebuild the ruins just like they used to be fortifying the structures of exploitation and oppression, which is part of what got them into this mess to begin with. And God is like, nope. Tzedakah, mishpat, the abolition of oppression, that is what it means to raise up and repair the former devastations. Or as it says in Isaiah 58, then your ancient ruins will be rebuilt. Then you shall be called the repairer of the breach when the prisoners are free, when the hungry have food, when everyone has clothing and shelter, when workers aren't exploited, when the land is not exploited, when the need for rest is honored, when there's true accountability for harm, when there is comfort for the mourning, then a garland instead of ashes.
If the answer to the longing is the longing, then the answer to the longing, the Advent abolitionist longing, is also to do the work our longing, God's longing, urges us towards. A garland instead of ashes. So part of what my call to action for you is this week is to pay attention to your own longing. Your longing for good news, for comfort, for a garland, for rest, for gladness, for joy, for repair, for rich soil and growth and abundant harvests filling our arms. Do you notice how much the earth shows up in this repaired, restored, abolitionist vision? gardens and seeds and sheaves. Pay attention to your longing. If you're feeling like me, full of ache, maybe that will help to actually honor that longing as a gift, as a divine message about what more could be possible. I'm trying. I'm not sure yet if it makes the ache any less, but it does Offer me some breathing room around it. And then, of course, do something with the longing. How can you help shape an abolitionist future? What gifts and skills can you offer to the rebuilding, to weaving a garland out of this ash, to practicing being an oak of tzedakah? I'll mention supporting the Breathe Act again, breatheact.org, a brilliant piece of abolitionist futuring as legislation to defund police and invest in communities, Black communities in particular. I'll mention our own Community Safety for All toolkit for your congregation to stop relying on police. And I'll mention right now um, our work right now, phone banking and canvassing, COVID-safe canvassing in Georgia for the Senate runoff. The abolitionist future we are longing for is much more possible if we win those seats and crack Mitch McConnell's stranglehold on, well, everything that is good and necessary for the wholeness and flourishing of our communities. Links to all of these will be in the transcript and on our social media. When the divine brought back those who returned to Zion, we were like those who dream. Pay attention to the longing. It will help us get where we need, where we long to go. Thanks as always for joining me from wherever you are on this good earth. We'd love to hear from you all by commenting on our SoundCloud or Twitter or Facebook pages. And we'd love to hear from you about how we're doing, especially from folks of color and non-Christian folks who may be checking us out. Next week, we'll have a resistance word from Drew Bongiovanni. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org, and our podcast lives on SoundCloud. Search on the word is resistance. 
Give us a like or write us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcast. Transcripts are available as well on our website, which include references, resources, and action links. And finally, as always, a huge, huge thanks to our sound editor, Max Pearl. Advent blessings to you in all that you do to resist injustice and in all that you do to build up a new world. Love and liberation, beloveds. Love and liberation. Until next time, I'm Reverend Anne Dunlap.